Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canal, and we have another listener question today that we're going to be walking through. So let's jump into this. The listener question is from Nath, and Nath says, Hi, first of all, I would like to thank you for the great job you're doing with the podcast. Thank you, Nath. I've learned a great deal. My wife and I have an assortment of investments from managed accounts to E-Trade to IRA to 401k and 403b. They're with different companies. I know we should consolidate, but I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. So my question is, what suggestions do you have for managing all these different accounts? Is there a program that can do this or a spreadsheet? Any tips or tricks? Thank you again. Thank you, Nath, for that question. And at the end of the day, what Nath is asking is, how do I consolidate? How do I organize and simplify what I have without running the risk of putting everything in one basket, aka what risk or how do I protect against the risk of consolidating everything? So the way that we're going to approach this is there are three key risks that you want to make sure you're protecting against, and we're going to walk through how you can look to do each of those while organizing and consolidating accounts to the best of your ability. Because the reality is when we have different accounts in different places, it becomes very hard to track what everything's doing. It becomes hard to track what the value of everything is, what's going on in each account, is there coordination happening between every account, and it just really starts to drain your ability to keep a clear firm grasp on everything you have going on. So the real problem or the real goal is protection. How can you best protect against what could go wrong? And we're going to address that. And we're going to do so by looking at the three big risks. Number one, we're going to look at the risk of not being diversified in the investments themselves. Number two, we're going to look at the risk of loss of principal in the case of fraud or bankruptcy. And risk number three is the risk of bad advice. So how can you organize and consolidate while still protecting against all three of these big risks? Let's start with number one. So the first big risk is when people use the term, don't put all of your eggs in one basket, it really means they want to be diversified. They want to have their money spread out. And the reason that we own many different stocks or bonds is for that reason. If you own just one stock or one bond or one investment, there's a decent chance that that investment doesn't do well. There's even a chance that investment goes out of business or becomes totally worthless. So when diversifying, instead of just owning one stock, we might own a thousand or a few thousand different stocks. Instead of just owning one bond, we might own hundreds of different bonds. Instead of just owning one piece of real estate, we might own a fund or an investment that owns several pieces of real estate. We do that because we know the risk is much higher in owning just one stock or just one bond or just one property. Now, the reason we often use mutual funds or ETFs is these are just funds and those funds then go own a few hundred different stocks or bonds or a few thousand different stocks or bonds for you. Now, why do I say this? If you're listening to this, you're probably thinking, James, I know that. I know what a mutual fund is or what an ETF is. Well, here's the thing. Having your investments spread out at many different institutions So having your IRA or your 401k or your managed accounts, your brokerage accounts, holding all those at different institutions does not actually help protect against this risk. In fact, many times it can actually enhance this risk or increase this risk. You would not believe, maybe you would believe, but so many times people come to me and they have their statements everywhere. There's a whole bunch of different accounts in different places because in their mind, that is their version of diversification. It's their way of not putting all their eggs in one basket. 
What I actually care about, though, isn't the institution where these accounts are held. It's when we actually look at all these funds as a whole, and not just looking at the funds in terms of what's the name of the fund, but looking at what individual stocks or bonds or investments are all these funds holding. When you have things spread out in many different places, many times you're owning the same thing over and over and over again through all those institutions. So for example, you might have five different accounts at five different institutions, and maybe each account has five to 10 different funds. But there's been many cases where people come to me and all those funds are simply owning the same thing. It might be different fund names. Maybe one's Vanguard and one's BlackRock and one's American Funds and one's Fidelity and one is you name it. But within that fund, they're all owning primarily the same exact stocks and bonds. So while it looks on the outside, like you have a whole bunch of different names at a whole bunch of different institutions, you must, must be diversified. A lot of times that's not actually the case. So to relate this back to the initial question of how can I consolidate my accounts without putting all my eggs in one basket? Well, the contrary to that is having your eggs at multiple institutions actually makes it much harder to fully diversify unless you're being very intentional about owning the right funds in the right places. So more often than not, it can be better to consolidate accounts, to own everything at one institution, because then you have full view over what your money is doing, how it's diversified, what funds it's in. But just by spreading your money out to different institutions alone does not actually help you increase your diversification at all. It does not actually help to spread out your risk at all from an investment standpoint. This leads into the second thing that we want to diversify, though, which is the custodian. So there's three different levels to this. Number one is the investment level. Number two is the custodian level. Number three is the advisor level, like we talked about. We talked about the investment level. Having multiple different custodians doesn't actually help you. It's not decreasing your risk to have many different investments at many different institutions. Number two, though, if you do consolidate everything, and if you do organize everything into, say, one institution, whether it's a TD Ameritrade or Schwab or Fidelity, whatever it is for you, your next question is, well, how do I protect against loss of principle if there's fraud at that institution or if there's bankruptcy at that institution? What do you do then? Well, that is a real risk. But thankfully, it's a risk people have thought of, and it's a risk that is protected against. So again, whether you're at TD Ameritrade, Ameriprise, Charles Schwab, E-Trade, Fidelity, Vanguard, Wells Fargo, these principles are going to apply the same to any of these firms. And what you see is that if any of these brokerage firms were to go bankrupt, well, the securities and cash that you've deposited at that firm, they remain safe. So the good news is when you invest your money, say at TD Ameritrade, you're not investing in TD Ameritrade, the company which means if TD Ameritrade, the company goes bankrupt, it's not as if your money goes bankrupt for it. Think of it as almost having like a lockbox, a safety box at TD Ameritrade. And if the institution goes away, you come in and you take your lockbox and you put that at some other institution, say Schwab or Fidelity or something like that. So if the authorities find that there's trouble that a brokerage firm is in, they're facing liquidity problems, or if they're looking to file for bankruptcy, if there's some issue, because keep in mind, all of these institutions they are required to have minimum standards of financial requirements. So net capital, liquidity standards, things like that. So there are safeguards in place to ensure these companies don't go under. But if they do, what you're going to have is you're going to have, if there's any sign of trouble, these firms are going to be forced to start transferring accounts to another brokerage firm, which means your investments stay the same, your holdings stay the same. The name of the company that holds them simply changes. Also, there's something called Securities Investor Protection Corporation. You'll hear it referred to as SIPC, S-I-P-C. And when a brokerage firm is registered and a member of SIPC or SIPC 
it carries what is essentially an insurance policy for its clients' deposits. Today, the insured amount for this SIPC insurance is $500,000. That's just a requirement if you want to be held in that. Now, if you're listening to this and saying, well, that's great, but I have more than $500,000 in my account. Does that mean I should do only $500,000 per institution? Not quite. What firms will do is on top of the government SIPC insurance of $500,000 per account, a lot of these firms, they will go and they will purchase additional insurance. They'll go to big insurers like Lloyd's of London, and they might get insurance on the account level at $5 million per account or $10 million per account. They don't want to give people any reason not to hold their assets at this institution's firm. So these brokerage firms, they will go out and carry additional insurance above and beyond the government provided insurance. And what this does is it just increases the protection on each account. Now let's talk about what this does and doesn't protect against. If you have your investment accounts and you invest in bad stock or bond or the market goes down, this insurance is not protecting against this. This is not protecting against loss of capital based upon the value of the investments you're invested in. What this insurance is covering is things like fraud or is things like bankruptcy or is things like insolvency. It is protecting against these risks that you can't diversify away. So even when we look at it from this standpoint of, okay, we know that at the first level, at the investment level, you want to diversify in the investments that you're in. That's where true diversification comes in. But even at the custodian level, having multiple different custodians, assuming that your custodian has these insurance provisions in place, even that isn't fully helping you to minimize your risk at all. Unless you have some level of account balance, tens of millions of dollars in your account, for example, that exceeds the insurance coverage provided by these institutions, having multiple different custodians is not in any way enhancing your diversification. It's not increasing the number of baskets that you have to put your eggs in. It's just redundant baskets that are doing the same exact thing. So we've talked about the investment level. We've talked about the custodian level. The third level that you can protect against is the advice level. And now when we look about at the advice level, we've all heard horror stories, whether it's in the news or from a friend of a bad advisor making a bad call or doing something fraudulent that's had a disastrous impact. And so there's a real fear there. How do we protect against the risk of bad advice? Now, if we have an advisor, what if that advisor makes the wrong call? What if they steer me in the wrong direction? Well, if it wasn't fraudulent and if it wasn't anything like that, but just bad advice, that's a risk. I don't have insurance that can protect against that. Well, here's the question. The question isn't, should I get an advisor or not get an advisor? Because you already have an advisor. You either have a third party advisor that you pay to help you with your financial planning and with your investing, or you are your advisor. So as people look at this of saying, okay, what's the risk of an advisor? There is a real risk with that. But what people fail to account for is there is a real risk for not having an advisor because what that means is you are your advisor. Now, that's not necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but what you have to do is ask yourself this. Keep in mind, it is very hard to be objective about money, especially your own money. But you must ask yourself, number one, as your own advisor, do you have the capacity to design and maintain the optimal portfolio that aligns with your financial goals? Number two, do you have all the retirement planning, tax planning, and overall financial planning expertise needed to enhance your portfolio and overall strategy? And then number three, do you have the right temperament to do the right thing at the right time? It's not enough just to know what to do. Do you have the right temperament to actually do it even in the midst of challenging circumstances? So why do I say that? Well, I'm going to relate it back to the initial question. 
And in the initial question, Nath says, we have an assortment of investments from managed accounts, aka a third-party advisor on them, to E-Trade to IRAs, 401ks, and 403bs, which I'm assuming are self-managed. So as you're doing this, yes, you are diversifying within advisors, but even if there's only one advisor and then the other one is you, you have to ask yourself, are there competing strategies going on? Who is the best advisor to best account for your goals and what you want to be able to accomplish financially? Is it actually beneficial to you to have an advisor for a part of your accounts and then to be your own advisor for other parts? Or is one of those two advisors lacking when compared to the other advisor? Meaning one's just naturally going to be better than the other. I'm not going to say if Nath's the better advisor, if Nath's advisor is the better advisor. But what we do know is one is going to be superior to the other when you look at the things an advisor should be doing. So how do you absolutely minimize the risk of bad advice? Is it through having multiple advisors? My opinion, no. Having multiple advisors simply enhances or or increases the risk that there will be an advisor that is doing the wrong thing. And not just the wrong thing here, but you have to think of it from the standpoint of strategy. There can only be one general. There can only be one strategy that is designed to take you to where you want to go. And if you have multiple advisors doing different things, one, you might have competing strategies, but two, you create incentives that you as the consumer, you as the client probably don't want your advisors to have. Let's just assume you have two advisors and they both know that the other advisor exists, okay? And you are giving them both the task of growing your money. Well, those advisors, they know that when you look at their performance, when you are analyzing them, you're going to judge them based upon who had the better performance, not who had the right performance for your plan and what was needed, but who had the better performance. It's just the easiest way, not saying it's the correct way, but it's the easiest way to measure those two advisors. So what are you going to get? What you are going to introduce an interest, you're going to introduce an incentive that those advisors are going to be competing to see who can deliver better performance. And let's say you're a retired investor and you have a low risk tolerance. Well, these advisors, they may not care about that so much. They may both be saying, I don't care about Nath's risk tolerance. I only care about outperforming the other advisor that Nath is also working with so that Nath doesn't fire me. Again, I'm not saying these are good incentives. These are bad incentives and a good advisor should not act that way. But to ignore the impact of incentives is to ignore human behavior. So as we look at this, is that creating a perverse incentive where the advisors are now incentivized to do better than the other advisor, even if it means taking on unnecessary and really bad risk inside of the portfolio, or are they fully incentivized to work in your best interest? So as you look at this third risk of how do we minimize it? So we talked about how do you minimize the investment risk? How do you minimize custodian risk? This third risk of how do you minimize the risk of bad advice is you find the absolute best advisor for you. Now, in some cases, you may be the best advisor for you. In other cases, an objective third-party fiduciary advisor that really cares about you may be the best advisor. Now, next week, I'm actually going to talk all about when is it worth it to have a financial planner? How do you know if a financial planner is worth the cost and when does it make sense and when doesn't it make sense to hire your own financial planner? So if that at all is something that's of interest to you, stay tuned. Next week, we'll talk all about that and kind of give you the rundown of when it does and doesn't make sense. But for today's episode, how do you minimize the risk of bad advice? Well, you minimize the risk of selecting the worst advisor, but be objective of this because many people, unfortunately, are their own worst advisor. They either lack the ability to be objective about their own personal situation. They lack the ability to do the right thing at the right time, 
or they simply lack the ability to design the right portfolio, or they lack the expertise when it comes to retirement planning or tax planning or overall financial strategy. So in practice, having one advisor, in my opinion, is actually the least risky, but it is a matter of finding that right advisor, whether it's you or whether it's a third-party advisor that does this for you. So just to summarize, as we go back to how can I consolidate without increasing my risk? How can I consolidate what I have without putting all my eggs in one basket? It starts at the investment level. And at the investment level, you diversify within the funds themselves, within the investments themselves. Spreading those investments out to multiple custodians doesn't help. In fact, it makes it harder in many cases to diversify. Number two, you look at the custodian level. At the custodian level, thankfully, there's insurance in place so that fraud or something happening to the institution should not have an impact on you. So having your investments all at one custodian actually tends to be a better thing for most people rather than a bad thing. And then finally, you minimize the risk of bad advice. And bad advice could either be in the form of one advisor giving bad advice or having multiple advisors and having competing or conflicting advice within all of them. So I hope this was helpful because I think it is a good question that a lot of people have. If I want to organize, I want to consolidate, there's some great benefits to having everything organized and consolidated and viewable in one place. But rather than looking at a program to do this or a spreadsheet to do this or any tips or tricks to do this, in my opinion, it comes down to diversifying well within the funds, having the right advisor in place. But then from there, it is usually best to have everything all at one place, assuming that one place carries the proper insurance. So I hope this was helpful. Thank you for your question, Nath. I always appreciate that. If you are listening and have a question you'd like to answer, go to the Ready for Retirement website at readyforretirement.co. Submit a question. I'll answer it in a future episode. And if you're listening and you're enjoying these episodes, please let me know by leaving a review. I appreciate you all listening. appreciate you taking this time to spend with me today. And I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.